right, good morning, church. Good to see you on this very first Sunday after Easter. And uh, what a great, absolutely incredible crowd today. And I was watching just people kept coming in, kept coming in. And what an awesome day. We talk about every Sunday is Easter Sunday when you celebrate the risen Savior. You know, every Sunday we celebrate Jesus Christ. Uh, he died on the cross, he was buried, and he rose again. Today he's at the right hand of the Father in heaven, preparing a place for those of us who know Christ as our Savior. We're excited today to uh, celebrate uh, life change, and uh, we have five people that are going to take their next step in their relationship with Jesus today. <clears throat> Church, don't take that for granted. I remember years ago, uh, one of my aunts saying we had had six or seven people baptized in a service, and she said, I can't remember in the last 15 years, six or seven people getting baptized in our church, and I thought, it's time to find a new church. It's time to find a church that's on mission, that's reaching its community and its city with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we want to celebrate with them this morning. We want to also want to celebrate with Ken and Doris Callahan. Miss Doris, I'm going to ask you if you would stand uh, back there. They're celebrating today 63 years of marriage. <laughs> That's awesome. Talked to Mr. Ken. He said, we've had many, many happy years. He said, we've had some difficult years. Uh, he said, but through it all, God has been faithful to us. And uh, he said, I wouldn't change anything about it, and I would do it all over again. So, uh, Miss Doris, we'll let you give some testimony later on that. And she may have other, I'm just kidding. But uh, if you want to know an example of uh, people putting each other's needs above their own and uh, seeking to live uh, according to the Word of God and the way God ordained that marriage should be, uh, talk to Ken and Doris, and uh, they are awesome. And also, if you want some tomato plants, they have hundreds of them, that I was told, and uh, they would gladly uh, uh, provide you with some tomato plants for your garden. They are master gardeners. All right, we're going to ju jump into our brand new series this morning for the next four Sundays entitled, When Life is Hard, God is Good. Do you believe that this morning? There are difficult times in our lives, and there are going to be difficult times in our lives. So folks, what happens is in the moments when things are good, we have to believe that God is good. But folks, we have to believe it so that when, thing, when times are bad, when difficult circumstances arise, when trials, when, when persecutions, when, when uh, hardships come our way, we already know that God is good. We believe that God is good. And folks, we trust him even in the valleys, even in those dark moments of time. Barner Research conducted a survey, national survey a few years ago, in which he polled adults. He said, if you could ask God one question, what would you ask? Think about that this morning in your own life. The top response was this, why is there pain and suffering in this world? The topic we're tackling over the next few weeks is one of the most commonly asked questions of, about God, and, and it's referred to as the Achilles heel of Christianity in our new series, When Life is Hard, God is Good. We're looking, and we're going to take over the next few weeks, at looking at God's Word and what it has to say and, and how we can best make sense out of our trials, out of our suffering, whether we ask it in a philosophical or theological sense this morning, or, or whether it's our questions are agonizingly emotional and personal, so, as some of ours are. Next week, we're going to focus on why trials come. The following week, we're going to look at some practical ways we can handle hardships, and then we'll conclude by learning about God's purposes 
in our problems. And today we're going to make an effort to define trials and lay a foundation for our study. So let's establish a definition. The word trial means to, uh, to be under the thumb of pressure. So maybe you feel like this morning that's where you're living. There, the pressure is on. Maybe it's at home. Maybe it's at work. Maybe uh, some of you young people, it's at school. Maybe uh, it's in your, your home life or in your financial world. That's where you're under the gun or under the pressure. Many of you know that experience and what it feels like. Some of you are, are going through some unrelenting pressure right now that keeps you awake at night and, and makes you feel wiped out during the, uh, during the day. In the New Testament, the word trial means to prove by testing. In other words, a trial demonstrates the genuineness of our faith in Christ and refines the quality of our spiritual life. If you have not heard a better definition than this, James McDonald says, A trial is a painful circumstance allowed by God to change my conduct and my character. All right? Screenshot that for just a second. A trial is a painful experience or circumstance allowed by God to change my conduct and my character. God is using all of these things for our good and ultimately for his glory. And I like it because it shows that God is always interested in working out his glory and my ultimate good. No matter whatever trial or, or, or if, for lack of a better term, garbage that we're dealing with in our life. He's working these things out. And trials are all about God's adjusting my contact, which is what I do, uh, my conduct rather. And then it's also at a deeper level, God is committed to reshaping my character, which is who I am. And, and I'm thankful today I'm not who I used to be. Folks, I might not be exactly where I should be, and all of us, because we will never attain that full, uh, devoted uh, following of Jesus until we are uh, standing in his presence for all of eternity. We should be striving and moving towards that, more like Christ every day. That's the process of sanctification, of, of discipleship, of growing as a disciple of Jesus. But folks, trials are all about God adjusting my conduct and reshaping, molding me more into his image. The storms of life can come fast and furious, and, and they can stretch over months or years or even decades of time. Trials can involve the physical and relational, financial, emotional, and circumstantial uh, issues in our lives. Several biblical terms that are used almost interchangeably in dealing with trials are, is suffering, hardship, tribulation, chastising, and discipline, all words that we don't like to hear and we don't like to experience, but it's part of the relationship that we have. No one is exempt. No one gets a trouble-free ride to heaven. Our family likes to play Monopoly Deal. If you've not ever played Monopoly Deal, uh, if you have kids, my kids love to play the game Monopoly. It goes on until, you know, the sweet hours of when Jesus is getting ready to return. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And you're just thinking, I mean, if we could get past this in an hour, uh, Monopoly deals your game, all right? And, and my, my brother-in-law can't, both of my brother-in-laws can't stand that game. There's not a lot of, uh, uh, you know, uh, it's just, it, it's not a lot of, it, it's just crazy. Anyway, but we like it because it's fast and you're in and out and 
done. And I know some people start the game of Monopoly with dealing out most of the properties uh, up front. And then, so you're kind of past that initial hurdle, and then you're just stealing people's properties and all that. But no one's an exempt. No one gets a uh, get-out-of-jail-free card. Uh, nobody gets that trouble-free ride to heaven. Uh, in fact, Jesus put it this way in Matthew 24. He says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Sometimes I think we feel like the moment we commit our life to Jesus, sometimes I feel like we think, hey, it's going to be a smooth sailing adventure from that on, there on. Like, I'm just going to be on the high seas just having a ball, just rowing my boat, running that race, getting closer to Jesus. And, and it's going to be a, a fun adventure. And, and I can tell you, it's going to be fun, all right. But folks, God will allow us to go through various trials that will ultimately get our eyes off of ourselves and our, our selfish nature, and we're all like that, and get our eyes focused fully on Him. Sometimes it's flat on a bed in a hospital where the only way we can look is up and say, God, I desperately need you. Finding that relationship with Jesus is so much more than just the surface Christianity, but it's digging deep into the Word of God. Suffering is a mark of discipleship, something that's guaranteed for the follower of Jesus. The Christian life is not a quick fix. New Christians are sometimes confused when they think that everything should go perfectly. In fact, the moment you choose to follow Jesus, for lack of a better term, that's when all hell break, begins to break loose. Because the devil is seeking to destroy you, to devour you. And now he gets on your case and he's beating you up on every front, every side, trying to destroy you, trying to defeat you, knowing that ultimately he cannot have your soul because you're a child of God. Let's remind ourselves that we're not the first Christians who've ever lived. Imagine those first century Christians in Acts in the city of Jerusalem and, and all that they endured for the, for the sake of the gospel, folks. We're not the only ones and probably what our trials pale in comparison to what the early church faced and the church globally today is facing but they pale in comparison to what Jesus suffered as he ultimately died on the cross for our sin. The first Christians were faithful predecessors. They had an incredible problems, experienced relentless persecution. Look at Hebrews chapter 11 and you look through the hall of faith of scripture and all of those who suffered, in fact, if you look at the first verse of chapter 12 in Hebrews 12 of our text, Hebrews 12, 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with what church? With what church? Endurance, the race that is set before us. Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts this morning. God, may we set aside any distractions of our day, of our week, and Lord, focus these next few minutes on your word and the power that you have to transform our lives. God, would we have open hearts that are receptive 
to the change that you want to make in our lives, God? Would you use the, the, the trials and the suffering and the, the persecution that we are facing in this world to keep us fully dependent upon you? God, would you use us for your glory? Would you use us as a testimony of your grace, of your mercy, God? Would Most importantly, would you be most glorified in our lives? We'll be careful to give you all the praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Look at what the Word of God says, and we're going to jump right into our text. In, in Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to begin in verse 5 in just a moment. Randy Alcorn, before I get into that, says, A faith that leaves us unprepared for suffering is a false faith that deserves to be lost. He says, if you base your faith on a lack of affliction, your faith lives on the brink of extinction and will fall apart because of a frightening diagnosis or a shattering phone call. Token faith will not survive suffering. And I love his, this last phrase, nor should it. Token faith is not a genuine faith that's rooted and grounded in a personal relationship with Jesus. And it deserves to die. Before we go any further, let's hit the pause button. I want you to think about something I was talking to some of our staff this week. When going through a storm, it's important to ask this question. It's important to, to understand, is this a trial or is this a consequence? Is this a trial or is this a consequence? Because the response is completely different. They're coming at it from completely different sides. Sometimes we think that it's a trial. Is in what is in, in reality is a consequence for our own actions. James McDonald suggests that the way out is different for both. The way to respond to a, a bad consequence is repentance. If you did wrong, we need to make it right with God through repentance and with the people that we've injured through restitution. A trial is completely different, though, because your actions didn't cause it. Remember, since God allows adversity in our lives in order to change our conduct and our character, then we must look for ways to learn from the trial. God, what is it that you want to teach me at this very moment that I could not learn any other way in this life? What is it, God, you're trying to, to mold my character to be more like you? Trials we embrace and learn from, consequences we repent and turn from. Let that sink in. Trials we embrace and learn from, consequences we repent and turn from. In other words, our response, if this is something that was brought on by our disobedience, but folks, not always is that the case. Sometimes God is using this to mold us into his image in a greater way, and there's something he wants us to learn we could not learn any other way. Here's what I want us to remember. Trials are designed to teach us so that our conduct and our character does what, church? Changes. All right, so that's kind of the premise that we're going with. I want us to dive into the word in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 5. If you have a copy of God's word, open it up this morning. If not, look on the screen. If you have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when he is reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every soon son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. 
God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? He says, if you are left with about, without discipline in which you have, all have participated, then you are illegitimate, illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have an earthly fathers who disciplined us and we've respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us, why church? He says, for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment of dis all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I love this passage because the writer of Hebrews is trying to get us to see suffering has a purpose. God is trying to perfect us. He's trying to train us. And we see here, first of all, take your suffering seriously. Why? Because it validates your relationship with God. The word discipline is used four different times in this passage. It refers to God's involvement in the hardest part of our lives. The word itself means to provide instruction with the intent of forming proper habits of behavior. You ever have those moments where your kids come to you and they want to do something and they're like, Mom and Dad, everyone is doing it, all right? I remember using that phrase with my parents. Didn't go over very well uh, because uh, they had a, a very quick response and they're like, no, hold on, everyone's not, everyone's not doing it because you're not doing it, all right? At the moment, at 15 and 16 and 17 years old, I, re I didn't think that was too fun. I mean, I was like, what, what horrible parents. I mean, uh, why, how could we possibly not? It's just a, a party, and you know the people, and they're not bad people. I mean, I went to a Christian school. I mean, how bad could it really? Well, let's just leave that alone. But anyway, the reality is, is the same things happen there. They happen in every single other school. And parents, if you're not wise enough to figure that out, let's have a conversation after church this morning. But the reality is, is sin is everywhere. In fact, I, I'm convinced birds of a feather flock together. It doesn't matter where you are, you will find people like you. If you can go into a, a church that is is completely lost their mind and and find someone who's a follower of Jesus and you're like why in the world did you stay in that church they had strayed so far and they've just been plugging along just faithfully serving and somewhere along the way the church has has lost their mind lost their vision lost a heart for God but there's people in that church that are still seeking to live for God and, and, and same way you can go in the most spirit-filled church and find people that are having affairs, that are living horrible lifestyles, and you're thinking to yourself, how can you sit under the preaching of the gospel week after week and then not change or affect your heart? Folks, the reality is this morning is all of us have areas of our lives that need to be addressed, and God is using trials. He uses different areas of our lives to form our character, to change us into his image. When God moves you to a uh, to make changes in your conduct and character, don't be casual about it. What he's doing, don't be flippant, don't be sarcastic, don't be indignant. In fact, the phrase do not rightly or do not regard lightly means to don't have contempt for or despise. 
We all have our ways of letting God know we don't appreciate what he's doing in our lives. Don't look at me like I'm... God speaks to us. He convicts us through his word, and we're like, oh, God, you couldn't possibly be asking me to fill in the blank. You couldn't possibly think, I I thought you didn't put on more on this than we could handle. That verse is not in Scripture, church. It's not in Scripture. You say, well, it's in there somewhere, Hezekiah, it's not in there. He says, I'll put more than you can handle with the Holy Spirit powering, empowering us to live for God. Apart from that, no, you can't handle anything. We're going to fall flat on our face, but Jesus Christ desires. So the word for discipline in Hebrews 12 is translated teaching. So in verse 5, what the readers, what have they forgotten? The exhortation, the, 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 the encouragement to change, to live for God and Sometimes it's difficult to believe that we can find an encouragement when the Lord disciplines us. Sometimes my dad uh, would administer uh, punishment or discipline in our lives and he would say, I'm doing this because I... All right, you had parents that are similar to mine. (laughs) Some of us uh, never got spanked and it shows. I mean, I'm just going there. I'm not going to open that whole can of worms, but I'm just telling you. Uh, he would say, this just makes hurts me a whole lot more than it hurts you. And I, I thought to myself, well, let's just cut out the middleman here and, and don't let it hurt you. And we'll just skip on to the, the good stuff, you know. And, but the reality is, without discipline, our lives would have taken a completely different direction. A completely different turn. And I'm thankful today, I can look at my dad, he'll be 81 in about a week and a half, and I'm thankful for every single thing he taught me. I'm thankful for the correction, for the discipline, the instruction, the the constant, uh, and, and I thought at times it was too difficult, but folks, I'm thankful that he loved me enough to give me the proper discipline in my life. Jim Warren shared this timeless advice. He says, when hard times come, be a student, not a victim. That's hard to wrap your mind around. When when times, when hard times come, be a student, not a victim. That's outstanding advice because we live in a victim culture where we blame everyone else but ourselves. Watch the news. It's everyone else's fault why we've turned out. We have former presidents who blame their grandmother for how, no, for the love of all things holy, don't blame your grandmother. We are our own, stand on your own two feet. Take responsibility for your own actions. Stop blaming every other country or president or or, or party, but take take responsibility for our own actions. The goal of all of our pain is restoration. And so we're going to see, secondly, going through a difficult time doesn't mean that God hates us. It demonstrates that he loves us. He loves us. He cares about us. In fact, verse six, the first part of verse 6 is the Lord disciplines those that he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives. Listen to McDonald once more. He says, far from abandoning us. When we're going through difficult trials, God actually moves towards us. 
Far from folding his arms, he rolls up his sleeves. He's getting ready to do something in our lives that you haven't been previously willing to let him do. In fact, trials are proof of God's love. The goal of all of our pain is restoration to a deeper sense of his love. A love that is willing to take you through a valley to get you through, through to a hilltop. No pseudo-solutions or quick fixes with God. He is going for change in you at the deepest and most lasting levels. Basically speaking, trials are appointments, not accidents. That means that whatever trial or difficulty that you're going through today has been tailor-made for you by a loving Heavenly Father. He appoints tough times for our good and for his glory. And he's never cruel in his correction. In fact, listen, I've said this many, many times over the years. Everything that comes to you has already crossed his desk and received his stamp of approval. My staff, when they're wanting some time off, uh, they have a form that they have to fill out and if it's personal time off, they'll have to they'll put like a reason because they can't take personal days as vacation. It's just the way it's been established all these years. And but it, it's there if you've got to go to a doctor's appointment, if you're sick, you whatever. So, but they'll put these time off requests, and some of them I have to you know pull out a, a magnifying glass and and try to get the the calendar out and see what all is going on because they will do their best. To ask off on Easter Sunday and get me to approve it. I mean, they're just going to do it. They're, they love to trip me up. They love to, you know, get me. And so I've been begging for a denied stamp. I want one of those stamps that just says denied and just put it back in their box, you know. But there, the other day that one of them put in there and it was, they asked off for Kids Blast. I was like, um, that's our VBS in the summer, just renamed, repackaged, but it's the same old thing. And the reality is, is I was like, are you kidding me? I called, I said, texted, I said, come to my office for a minute. And I was like, have you looked at the calendar? This is our Kids Blast week, and you're not going to get off. It doesn't matter what's going on. And, uh, and, and But they, they, they're always trying. Folks, the reality is, is everything that happens in our lives first Cross God's desk, and it's already received his stamp of approval. To us, it seems like God is often punishing us, but actually he's attempting to teach us and to free us. In Lamentations 3.33, it says, For he does not afflict his heart from his heart or grieve the children of men. God is not out to get us. Contrary to what the devil may be trying to deceive you and say, God doesn't truly love you. If he did, he would never have allowed. Do you realize God sent his only son, Jesus, to die on an old rugged cross, suffer, bleed, and die to pay for our... He turned his back on his own son so that our sins could be forgiven. So even though it might feel like God is far away or distant from you in your distress, the truth of the matter is this. That he not only sees your suffering, he's concerned about you. And then number three, no matter how bad the storms are, it's imperative to submit to God. Look at the end of verse 9. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? What's he saying? He says, God has a plan. He has a purpose. He's trying to perfect in our lives 
He says we ought to submit to that. We ought to be subject to that. To be subject means to place under in an orderly fashion. It's also used of soldiers lined up in military fashion, ready to hear the orders of their commander. I can shake my fist at God, or I can drop to my knees and surrender. When we submit to God's will and plans, we are trusting Him completely, no matter the outcome. On May the 10th, 1980, 1998, rather, no, it was 1988, my, date, my dates are off, uh, my younger sister Debbie was 11 years old, she had one of those little scooters, not the electric kinds we have today that you basically don't get any exercise, <clears throat> but the old kind that you're pushing, and she just, our neighborhood that I grew up on was off of 1010 near Crowder Park. And our, our life group met there the other night. I said, yeah, I grew up like in walking distance. But this wasn't here back in those days. I mean, there were no parks at all around us. But uh, she was riding up around the entrance of my parents' neighborhood. And she rode out into the edge of 1010. And she got hit by a car going 50 miles an hour. Head went through the windshield, threw her 77 feet she landed face down on the concrete on the pavement and skidded. Her entire body was skint from head to toe. Got to Rex. She was in a coma. She was bleeding on the brain. Doctors transferred her to Duke to do brain surgery. The church began to pray. Our church was two years old at the time. Can I just say, we truly felt like heaven was shaken by the prayers of God's people. In fact, multiple waiting rooms were filled with people from this church and this community that were on our knees begging God to spare her life. Before they got to Duke with her to do the brain surgery, the bleeding had stopped. Four days later, she woke up from her coma. Aside from two broken collarbones and being skint from head to toe, God completely spared her life. She's been in D.C. ever since she graduated from college. She went to work for Homeland Security right after 9-11. And now she's been an FBI agent for the last 10, 11 years. If you meet Debbie on the street, you will never know she nearly died. In fact, the thing she was most upset about was that she was missing her piano recital <laughs> that Sunday of that first weekend that she was in the hospital. And she hated piano, so we knew she had hit her head because she did not like that at all. But anyway, if, if she's listening, Debbie, I, I love you. But anyway, uh, you know, every May 10th, I'm reminded of how we petitioned heaven, God, would you perform a miracle in my sister's life? And she's a living testimony of that. And folks, the reality is, is sometimes God answers those prayers the way we want them to. Sometimes he doesn't. 
Sometimes he doesn't heal. Sometimes he doesn't raise those that are sick and to death. Sometimes God doesn't do it the way we think he should. But folks, it doesn't mean he didn't answer. It didn't mean that he didn't hear us. It doesn't mean that he's not good. Because what happens is, even through those moments, we must trust that he is good. His purpose, his plans are higher than ours, even though we don't understand them, even though we can't wrap our minds around them, even though it blows our minds. At times, I can tell you, God is faithful. He's true, and we can trust his purpose. Fourthly, what God allows is ultimately good for us. Look at the middle of verse 10. But he disciplines us for our good. This is translated as for our profit, like a dividend or or wages. Pain can be perfect for some of us because of what it comes from. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. And it's his megaphone to arouse a deaf world. When I read that, I thought to myself, sometimes God has to shout For us to listen because we are so busy going our own way, doing our own thing. As Isaiah 53, 6 says, folks, we have gone our own way, turned everyone to our own way. But the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Ultimately, sometimes God has to rattle us, shake us to get our attention, to get our eyes focused back on him. Like the best dentist, he's drilling out decay in our lives. And some of us have a lot of cavities that need filling. Three verses that come to mind in this regard is Genesis 50, verse 20. Write these references down. You're going to want to underline them in your Bible. It said, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for what, church? Good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. This was the story of Joseph. And Joseph says, you know what? He looked at his brothers. You meant this for evil. You had evil thoughts or plans about my life. But God ultimately used it for my good. And ultimately for his glory. He's glorified in my life. What the world meant evil against me, God can use for our good. Romans chapter 5 verses 3 says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that our, the suffering produces what, church? Endurance. There it is again. And endurance produces what, church? Character. And character produces what, church? Hope. See, it's a process of drawing us closer to Jesus every single step. The process of sanctification often includes suffering and trials that ultimately is used by God to bring change in our lives. And then Romans 8, 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together, what, church? For good. For those who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't mean all things are good. It says all things work together for. I can't think of any story of cancer that's good. Can't think of any story of an accident that takes a life as being good. I can't think of a a house fire that's good. I can't think of a, a drowning or anything. He says all things 
work together for our good. God will ultimately take it and use it for good. Often God uses setbacks to move us forward in a relationship. Number five, hard times can be the catalyst for holiness. The last part of verse 10 says that we may share his, what church? Holiness. We share his holiness. Some of us shy away from holiness because we think we'd rather be happy. But actually, the way to happiness is through holiness, a deeper relationship with Jesus. Holiness is the complete state of God-centeredness and God-likeness, God's end game in whatever stress or trial or pain that we're going through is our holiness. He may use the bad things that we're experiencing to teach us something that he can't get through to us in any other way. In Job chapter 23, verse 10, he says, But he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as what, church? Gold. That purifying process requires fire, requires trials, requires suffering and struggles. But folks, God uses those things for our good. God sees our suffering. And this verse reminds us our Trials will not last forever. God may have to break us in order to make us. Someone has said, in this country, there's much complaint with little suffering. Talking about the United States. In some countries, there's much suffering with little complaint. It's amazing that when believers going through trials in other countries are asked for prayer requests, they don't ask God to immediately rescue them from their suffering. Instead, they ask for boldness. For grace to forgive. And, and, and instead, they ask God to open doors, wisdom for governmental authorities, growth of church leaders, and ultimately unity in the church. It's a good lesson for us. Because oftentimes we're saying, God, if you would just make all of these problems go away, I'll be faithful. I've heard people try to make bargains with God in the hospital. God, if you'll get me through this surgery or heal me of this, but whatever sickness or disease, I will be in church every time that the door is open. And I'm thinking to myself, I'd be careful about that. You, God is not a bartering God. If you do this, I'll do this. No, he doesn't work like that. He calls us to true obedience and he wants us to listen and follow him no matter what the outcome. He's saying, trust me. Randy Alcorn says, the faith that can't be shaken is the faith that has been shaken. We see number six, pain is momentary and peace comes later. Verse 11, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. How many of us have more pain than pleasure in our life right now? Hold on, because peace is coming. In fact, the Word of God says joy comes in the morning. It may not happen today, but it is coming. And God has a purpose. A.W. Tozer said, Seldom does God use a person greatly who has not been hurt deeply. Friends, if we're faithful and patient, there's fruit coming because trials are designed to be transformational. God promises a safe landing, not a smooth sailing. And then lastly, my response 
is my responsibility. Think about this. My response, how I respond to those trials and tests is my responsibility. The last part of verse 11, to those who have been trained by it. Changed. To those who God has perfected and made more like Jesus. It can also be translated as exercise, as used of athletes striving strenuously in a gym on a daily basis. Trials could train us for harvest of righteousness and peace, but it's conditional based on whether or not I'm cooperating with God and what he's seeking to do in my life. I must allow myself to be trained by them. I must look for the purpose in my pain and I must guard against bitterness. I must allow God to perfect me through the pain. Say, Pastor, what's the application? I wonder this morning, to what extent are you willing to be trained by the trials that you're going through right now? To what extent am I willing to say, God, you have my full attention. God, I'm listening. I, don't, I may not understand. In fact, sometimes I don't know that we'll always understand this side of heaven. It might be only in glory that we'll understand. And I've had people say, sometimes say, I can't wait to get to heaven. I have a whole list of questions. And maybe you're jotting them down in your Bible or in your brain mentally. And you're thinking, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask him why he's allowed X, Y, and Z to happen. You know how I feel about that? I think by the time we get to heaven and we have a glorified body, that'll be so far removed from our mind. You say, why is that? Because the Word of God says in heaven, there's no tears, there's no suffering, there's no crying, there's no dying, there's none of those things. And they're not, those that are already gone on before us aren't looking down here crying over what's happening. I mean, can you imagine if they actually knew what was happening on planet Earth in 2023? Woo! I read something this past week said uh, if, if uh, Paul was still around, uh, this church would be getting a letter, you know? I mean, he'd be writing some letters. <laughs> can I get a witness? I'm telling you, the church today has a life support. I mean, we're using the paddles, trying to shock them back to life because the church is so out of control this, this morning. But Jesus Christ is on his throne. And folks, he is desiring to change our lives. Your particular trial doesn't matter as much as how you respond to it. Often we focus intently on the details of our difficulties as if our problem is the most important thing in the world. It might seem so at the time, but it's not really. Because God is much more concerned with how we respond than with the trial itself. I heard a story about a teenager. I'm going to try to get through without crying because... I bawled all week as I was processing it mentally. She didn't want to be seen in public with her mother because her mother's arms were terribly disfigured. One day when her mom took her shopping, she reached out with her hand to a store clerk. The look on that clerk's face was horrified. Later crying, the girl told her mother how embarrassed she was. 
understandably hurt, the mother waited an hour before going to her daughter's room to tell her for the first time what had happened. She said, when you were a baby, I woke up to a burning house. Your room was an inferno. Flames were everywhere. I could have gotten out the front door. But I decided I'd rather die with you than to leave you to die alone. She said, so I ran through the fire and I wrapped my arms around you. And I went back through the flames, my arms on fire. She said, when I got outside on the lawn, the pain was agonizing. But when I looked at you, all I could do was rejoice that the flames hadn't touched you. Stunned, the little girl looked at her mom through new eyes. Weeping in shame and gratitude, she kissed her mother's marred hands and arms. You know, trials are designed to teach us so that our conduct and our character ultimately changes. This morning, what's your response to the bad things that happen in your life? Don't give up and become passive, bitter, or hardened. Folks, God is no stranger to our pain. The great news of the Bible is that God is a suffering God. Jesus Christ died a horrible death on a cruel cross to provide you with the ultimate suffer a solution for suffering and for death. If God can use the horror of Christ's crucifixion for good, then surely he can use our suffering for good. Let that, let that sink in. Whenever you're tempted to ask God, why did you do this to me? Instead, look at the cross and ask, why did you do that for me? Sometimes we forget that Christ was crucified for us. He served our death sentence so that we could be forgiven. Church, when life is hard, God is good. When life is hard, even when we don't understand exactly what he's doing, you can trust his heart. There's a song that says, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. There's so much to be said about trusting God. And God allows trials, suffering, ultimately, to change our character and cause us to trust him fully. God, would you speak to hearts this morning?